podcast is pre-recorded at hello studios dallas texas all productions including video editing and graphics is done in-house photography provided by perion mans hey good morning everybody we back hello twitter world it's your boy oj uh, oh, 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 oh. you haven't seen that on twitter go oh my god go watch oj simpson's Twitter videos, it's a hilarious thing, alright? Hello, Twitter world. Hello, Twitter world, it's OJ. They still won't verify him. They still won't verify him. Right? Hey, Twitter world, <laughs> yours truly. You know, stab too many people, so I guess that doesn't happen. <laughs> you can't get to a verification. But, yo, what's up, guys? Welcome back, Ray Ray's Podcast again. Uh, today is uh, March 16th, 316 day. Shout out, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Hey. Man, so glad to be back with another episode. Thank you all for rocking with us. Uh, you know, we had our two-year anniversary, so thank you for everyone that's been uh, supporting us, all of our sponsors and listeners. Thank you so much for two years of Ray Ray's podcast. One of my favorite wrestlers was Scott Hall, a.k.a. Ray's Ramon. So rest in peace to Scott Hall. He just passed away on Monday. Uh, condolences to all his family and friends. Uh, it was a really big impact on my life. Like As a kid, I watched WWF and WCW all the time, you know, Monday night. You flip back and forth like, oh, what's going on WWF? Mm-hmm. What's going on WCW? So that was a big, uh, big part of my childhood. So you know, rest in peace, Scott Hall, and you know, hope his family, you know, feels peace now. NFL free agency is going on. Oh boy! Don't I don't want to get too much into that right now because yeah. I could talk all day about that. But uh, it's been some doozies going on. That's all I can say. Some switcheroos, mm-hmm. people making U-turns, but we're not gonna call nobody out right now. <laughs> I was mad. Boy, I was mad. Yeah. You got uh, DeAndre Jordan 2.0. Um, so I guess he uh, didn't like the fact that uh, there's some certain stipulations in there. From what I gathered of it, it was his agent really didn't want him in Dallas. Yeah. yeah. That, that's what it sounds like. Coincidentally, his agent is the same agent for Lyle Collins. Yeah. Who the Cowboys are trying to get rid of. Mm-hmm. Also, who got suspended last year and lost money yeah. because of it. Yeah. So... The agent was like, oh, I think Randy Gregory is a very emotional guy, and I think mm-hmm. his agent played off that uh, emotion, like, you know, come on, bro, come on, Denver, because yeah. he's based in Denver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he's from Denver. Yeah. yeah. Again, everyone, make sure you're up on rarespodcast.com, checking out these videos, episodes on YouTube and on our website. Amazing site, amazing videos, rock. His editing skills are just going through the moon right now, so, you know, just make sure y'all check those out, all right? All right, this is time of the show. Where we say some positive words, get this show started off on the right track. You ready, Ray? Yes, sir. You ready? You ready to get, get loose as a goose right now? Let's go. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's get the music playing, all right? Y'all know black people got to have music for everything when we do anything. We clean, we talk, we got to have some music in the background to emphasize, all right? <laughs> so, for those of you who are your first time watching this show, 
this is the time where, like, if you're having a rough week or a rough day, let's kind of reset that day. Say these positive words out loud to yourself, and here we go. Just know that you're beautiful, you're loved, you're needed, you're alive for a reason, you're stronger than you think, you're going to get through this. We're glad you're alive, and don't give up. So those are some positive words we want to say to y'all. Um, if you just start saying positive words, a lot of situations turn for the better. You just got to think positively and move forward. And hey, you can do anything. All right. So that's our positive words for the day. We got that out of yes. the way. Let's get dirty now. Let's get dirty. <laughs> I'm, joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. Mom, if you're watching this, I'm so sorry. Right now. <laughs> awesome. So right now we've got an absolute, in my opinion, an icon and a legend in, in his business. Uh, this guy, you know, got popular in the seventies and eighties, you know, with the, with the long hair <laughs> and the mustache, <laughs> um, he was working for a company, uh, world-class championship wrestling that's based out of Dallas. Anyone wanted to be anyone in the wrestling industry, they had to come through Texas. They had to just point like bottom line. You had to come to Texas because Texas was such a big wrestling place. And well, I think it still is to a degree. Also, this man owns multi multiple businesses. He's a true entrepreneur. Uh, he's a definition of a hustler, uh, I have to say. I was about to say, I want y'all to give a big, warm, Ray Ray's po podcast welcome to someone that's kind of like family to me, extended family, Mr. David Manning. Let's give him a round of applause. What's up, David? Great. How you doing, Ray? I'm alive. I'm not dead, so I guess I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> Could be worse, but hey, thank you for coming in today. I know you're a very, very busy man. Thank you for taking time out to come. To come out because I know you know you're high demand. You know people have seen you on Dark Side of the Ring recently, so you know such a big show that it is on Vice. So if y'all haven't checked that show out, check out Dark Side of the Ring. You're on several episodes of that, right? Crazy. Yeah, I'm on uh, three the first season, and then uh, the second season they went to the other territories, and then uh, they brought me back the third season for the Ultimate Warrior feature. Yeah, Do doing some of those shows, and I know some. You know, a lot of times there's like some old feelings like a lot of those old feelings come back up when you're like sitting there thinking about like for instance perfect example uh, Gino I know Gino probably was someone very important to y'all that all cared about having to talk about Gino uh was that kind of hard doing that yeah it's hard I mean you know especially because um you know when Wrestlemania was here in Dallas uh gosh I guess it's been four years ago three four years ago um I was over Spent a lot of time with Flair. We're best friends. And so I was over at the hotel where all the boys were. And I think the one biggest difference I saw, I was telling uh, uh, Rick, I said, you know, in our day one, thank God, there wasn't all the uh, iPhones with cameras on them. And, <laughs> and uh, every, everybody out there, you know, if they wanted a picture, they had to have a Polaroid or something. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but now uh, – Back then, everybody was family. If something happened with somebody, you know, we were all pulling for them or right in the middle of it or whatever. But you, you look at today, I was just watching the boys. It was so methodical. It was just like you could just tell it's all turned to business. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm sure. That, well, one, like I said, with all the camera stuff, they can't pull the pranks like we used to do. Oh, <laughs> I've heard some of those ribs and uh, they used to play on each other. I can only imagine just, you know. The stuff you used to be able to get away with, and now everyone's got a camera phone, and that's something you always got to worry about. Everybody's got a camera phone, yeah. and uh, all the wives know where everybody's at all the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, my God. 
hey, I saw yeah. you were at such and such at this time and this time. It'll take you two minutes to get from there. I, I always think about that too. Like if, if you were a celebrity nowadays, right? Like this, there, there's, for example, John Cena. I was just seen a video not too long ago where he was trying to shop a, at a Gucci store or something like that, and there was this guy that was harassing him. Like harassing him. And John Cena would have just so much professionalism was just like, hey, listen, brother, man, you could have politely asked me for a picture, yeah. but you never did. And he was just being so obnoxious with it. But yeah, I can only imagine, like, it just, yeah, I, I, this, this, everyone has a camera phone, right? And everyone just wants a piece of you. Everybody's got a camera phone, and you say that, you know, yeah. um, almost all the boys pretty much are the same. Yeah. People buy a ticket, mm-hmm. right? So they have the right to say whatever they want. Mm-hmm. I know used to, I would be leaving the arena and going back if it was a match where I just happened to see what didn't what happened didn't happen, and the guy that the babyface got beat, they were all mad at me. So I had to hear it all the way to the car, you know. And they would yell at me. And same thing when all the heels, the birds, and different people would leave the ring. You're just gonna. It's just part of the game. Mm. But almost any of the boys, I remember one night I left and I just happened to have uh, uh, my wife, uh, my ex was there at that time, and uh, on the way to the car. Uh, some guy, he yelled at me, and all this, and all of a sudden, he said a few things he shouldn't have said mm. about my other half. And oh. next thing I you know, I'd slung him over a car and had him down on the hood. Oh. And I said, "Your ticket allows you to say whatever you want about me," but that's about it. And same yeah. thing. Keep my wife's name out your fucking mouth. I guarantee you, I saw a Goldberg one time get a little upset over something like that. Wow. Yeah. I remember also another thing. Um, a lot of people. Used to abide by a lot of the wrestlers was called kayfabe, right? Mm-hmm. Nowadays, you really don't have people really doing with it. I remember it was like a real big thing. Matter of fact, Scott Hall and those guys they got in trouble because they all went out in Madison Square Garden, what's called the infamous curtain call. They hugged each other. It was your heels, which are your bad guys, and your faces, which are your, you know your good guys. They came together and hugged, and that was like a no-no. Well, in the business, I'll tell you how strong of a no-no it was at the Sportatorium. When you walked in the um, <clears throat> sportatorium, when you came in the entrance, you come in this little hallway, and then the, if you're one of the wrestlers, then you went through this door, and on the left, there was these almost like saloon doors that's, yeah. that go back and forth, mm-hmm. and then that's where uh, the baby faces or the heels would dress, and uh, no one ever got back there. So, And for the, those out there that don't know, the word kayfabe meant if there was somebody in the room that didn't understand wrestling or know that, you know, Pretty much, it's fixed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you would say kayfabe, and then everybody would stay apart. And but uh, I come walking through the door one night. We had a wrestler named the Monk that mm. wrestled for a while. And uh, as I'm coming through, the Monk comes flying through those saloon-like doors, hits the wall. I can already see someone's hitting because he's bleeding. Yeah. And then Killer Brooks comes through the door, picks him up, smacks him again. And what had happened was the Monk was talking to Brooks's brother-in-law. And smartened him up. So that just tells you, Brooks, this was his inner family. Yeah. He had not even told any of them. Yeah. But the fact that the monk had made a statement to more or less say it was kind of fixed or whatever, Brooks was sending a message to him, keep your mouth shut, yeah. or the next time I won't be so lenient on you. <laughs> All right, I know you got plenty of those stories, but first, we want to get to know you, get to know David Manning, the man himself. So we got this segment on the show, it's called Slow Slow down, we just want to get to know you. This is where I just kind of ask you some random questions. Really not, nothing about nothing, just some random questions. Just kind of get your mind and, you know, see, see more about you, all right? So, again, let's remind the people, tell the people who you are and what it is that, that you do and where they can find you at. Uh, my name is David Manning. I'm uh, 
Uh, I own a company called Extreme Travel, and it's spelt like X and a running stream, X-S-T-R-E-A-M. And uh, we're a travel agent host company. We book travel, but we're all, we're mainly a travel agent host company. So we have travel agents from all over the United States and other parts of the world. We furnish them websites, and we furnish them their booking engines, and they use, utilize our buying power. We sold over $180 million in travel back in 2019. Now, 2020 was a different world. Mm, yeah. <laughs> but we also have Extreme Travel University, where if someone out there wants to be a travel agent, and I highly suggest even if you aren't serious about being full-time, it's a great way to get travel perks, and it's a great way to be able to handle your own stuff. And so I've been doing that now since the year 2000. I uh, had a big network marketing company, and I sold it uh, about two years ago. And it's hard enough to run one company, much less two. So, yeah. <laughs> so that's pretty much it. I play a lot of golf and do a lot of fishing. Okay. So uh, if someone wants to sign up for Extreme Travel, where can they go do that at? They can go to extremetravel.com. As I say, it's X-S-T-R-A-M, travel.com. There's some links on there where if you've got any questions, you can click on them, and uh, someone there in the corporate office will get back with you within 24 hours. But uh, right now, anybody who's listening to Ray Ray's podcast, we're going to uh, give them a $200 discount. It's normally $299, and they can get joined up with us for $99. Okay. Hey, y'all hear that right there? Y'all go to Extreme Travel. Great way if you want to book a vacation for yourself, sign up to become an agent, get them discounts, and do it. ExtremeTravel.com with the X, ExtremeTravel.com. Do that. $99, $200 off. Do that now, all right? Well, not only that, let me just tell you the best thing. Well, let's say you don't want to be a travel agent. Mm -hmm. Anyone out there that refers us to a group, you know, like maybe a church group, family reunion, uh, maybe, you know, six or eight people is going to do a destination wedding. You refer that over to Extreme, you don't do anything. We take it from there. If they take the trip, commission comes in, we send you 25% of it. Hey, y'all want free money? You want free money? Sign up. Hey, I'm going to do that as soon as we get off the show. Hey, where's my phone? (laughs) Right now. All right, cool. So, David, where are you from? I was born in Fort Worth, Texas, uh, moved to Irving, Texas, the week uh, President Kennedy got shot. I was in third grade, and uh, uh, I've lived here, uh, moved out to Paris, Texas, back in the uh, early 80s, kind of get my kids out of the city at that time, and then uh, uh, it was too long of a drive commuting back and forth, so I ended up moving back, but I've pretty much been here all my life. I used to run up and gun over there in Paris. Como, Combi, Sulphur Springs. Yep. I, used to, I used to tear them roads up. I had some friends. Uh, I used to be friends with, and we just to, I ain't gonna say any stories. But just leave it at that. <laughs> we used to tear up some of them back roads. Just leave it at that. All right. So from Fort Worth, Texas, and you touched on you had moved the day JFK got shot. Uh, the weekend, uh, the yeah. Weekend, that's right. What was that experience like? It was crazy because um, it. My mom didn't know her, her way around uh, Dallas. But the president's in town. Uh, literally, we went to Fort Worth the day before. He was in Fort Worth. A lot of people don't know that. Mm-hmm. He did the same tour like in Fort Worth, and we got a chance to go see the limo go by and all of that. Well, then the next day I was in school, and man, all of a sudden all the teachers were running everywhere. And back then, you know, sometimes they'd bring a TV in. and. Yeah. Uh, so it was a big thing. So they, they had TVs there already. And then all of a sudden the word was out, you know, that they were on the way to Parkland hospital and the president had been shot. And it was, it was literally chaos for 24 hours. And what was crazy was a lot of the radio stations that weren't like news stations turned into news stations. Mm. It'd be like you guys doing a podcast. All of a sudden the pre- president gets shot. Guess what you're shifting to? Yeah. Yeah. The president, yeah. yeah. So it was, um, 
it, it, it was unique, you know, and over the years, as you travel, as I travel around the world and stuff, mm -hmm. two things people will always bring up, South Fork, J.R. Huey, <laughs> and that's where Kennedy got shot. Did you ever see that they tried to make a remake of Dallas? Like recently they had a, uh, what was the guy name? He do Duffy. Do Duffy. Duffy came back. Came yeah. back to be. Was it Jr. when he came? No, back? no, no. He came back as Patrick. He came back as uh, Bobby Hewing. Okay. And uh, Jr. At that point, it was crazy. Jr. was going to be in it, but he died yeah. literally right before uh, they started shooting. And uh, uh, I watched it because I was such a big fan. That was the, one of the only shows I would uh, VCR back in the day. <laughs> and uh, I, w I would VCR it, you know, and watch it and. Uh, it was crazy. We we actually did some stuff with them, you know, because they got really popular here in town. Yeah, because I remember, uh, you know, around a time in Dallas, you had a lot of things going on. Of course, y'all had the wrestling. You had Dallas a TV show, um, SMU in the late in the early eighties yeah. before they got the death sentence was really popular. Eric uh, Dickerson. Eric yeah. Dickerson. It was a Craig Davis. Yep. Uh, I'm sorry, Craig James. I apologize. Craig James. Craig James. Uh, a lot of big. SMU was doing some dirty stuff, quote unquote, which is everyone was doing that, but yeah. SMU just got caught. Exactly. They yep. just got caught. They, just, they were sloppy about it, didn't mm -hmm. care. And, but, you know, there was, there was a big time in Texas. I think, he, I think Eric Dickinson said he made uh, more at SMU than the NFL. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, he took a pay cut. He took a pay cut to go to the NFL. What was always the thing? Was it the, was it the Champagne uh, Thunderbird or Firebird yet? Or. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, got <laughs> the A&M at bottom or something. A&M <laughs> turned A&M down, but they couldn't get the car back. But, um, all right, so what is the best advice you would give to your younger self? Oh, wow. The best advice I'd give to my younger self would be slow down, put the money in the bank, <laughs> <laughs> party maybe one night a week, <laughs> and, uh, you know, get right with Jesus early. That's a good one. We all need to get that one right. Okay. What is something that people seem to misunderstand about you, David? Probably the biggest misunderstanding was a lot of people think I was just a referee mm -hmm. in the ring. And uh, when literally I ran world-class championship wrestling, I was Fritz Von Erich's right-hand man. Um, it's crazy how I got in the business. I, every, I, I'm one of those that believes everything happens through fate. And that's exactly how I got into wrestling. Um, I was coaching. I, I, I was I did some things as an amateur wrestler that can never be done again because when I wrestled in uh, junior high and high school, the uh, UIL had not accepted it yet. So there was really no strap down rules. So when I was an eighth grader, I literally challenged for the high school wrestling team to go to state and I beat the varsity guy that was uh, going to represent MacArthur High School. So I went to state as a high school wrestler as an eighth grader in one state, uh, and uh, which that can never be done again. Yeah. Wow. yeah and was also a five-time state finalist, which can never happen again because oh, you're only yeah. allowed four years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so... She held back here. <laughs> but, um, so, you know, and then so when I started coaching, there wasn't a lot of guys in the area that knew a lot about wrestling, truthfully. So I would go to Oklahoma and Kansas to get competition. So whenever I started coaching down at the Y, I was doing it for free and um, just given my time, and uh, one, one day we went up to uh, North Texas and we did a tournament up there, and my team was the best, because I know for a fact they had the best coach at that time. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of my kids was wrestling the kid up there um, and uh, beat him, and the other kid had some potential, and so after the match I just kind of went over and said, hey, look, when you're doing a switch, do it this way, and just gave him some pointers. That was it. Mm -hmm. 
Later on, I went to the concession stand and uh, went to get something. And they gave me a sandwich and a drink. And they were like, it's on the house. And I was like, what? Yeah, compliments of Fritz Von Erich. I said, Fritz Von Erich's here? Because I was a wrestling fan. Yeah, yeah. And they were like, well, he was. And he said, if you came up here and bought anything, it was on him. Mm. So about a week went by, and a guy named uh, Jack Nelson called me. And he said, hey, Jack Atkinson's trying to get a hold of you. I said, who's Jack Atkinson? He said, Fritz Von Erich. I said, wow. He said, you want me to give him your number? And I said, yeah. So he... I get a call a couple of nights later from Fritz, and he's like, hey, I want you to come up here to my house. I want to talk to you. Mm. So I went up there. Uh, he lived on Fritz Lane in Lake <laughs> Dallas, and um, we went in his office, and a very intimidating guy. And he said, uh, man, I've been doing some due diligence on you. You're a pretty good wrestler. I said, thank you. He said, I want you to coach my boys. And he said, you remember a boy you helped here in the tournament that was here about a month ago? And I was like, no. And he yelled out, Carrie! Turned out the kid I helped was Kerry Von Erich. Mm. You know, that's what he became. At that time, he was Kerry Atkinson. And um, so Fritz, from there, all of a sudden I was helping coach him, and then he was like, why don't you come down? I'll let you be a second. Then one night he came in and said, I'm going to let you referee a match next week. We're going to promote you as the youngest referee in history. And Because back then all the referees were retired wrestlers. Yeah. And uh, then from there, next thing you know, I got invited to a booking meeting, first booking meeting. It was crazy because Fritz laid out a angle they were going to do. And I'll never forget, Bronco was in the room. Uh, Gary Hart was in the room. Uh, Danny Pletches was in the room. And I was just sitting over a chair on the side. And so he asked, Bronco said, what do you think? Bronco said, I like it. He asked Pletch. Pletch said, I like it. He asked uh, Gary. Gary said, I like it. And all of a sudden, I blew. He looked at me and said, what do you think? I said, I don't like it. Mm. And he said, well, first of all, you're fired. Now tell me why you don't like it. <laughs> so I told him, and he said, um, he thought, he always had one or two cigarettes going. Oh, wow. So he's puffing, and all of a sudden he's like, you know what, kid's right. So they, he changed it. So when we went to leave, he said, you stay here. And they all left. He said, I could have said I was going to go out there and take a big crap in the ring, and they'd all said they had liked it. And he said, I want you to every booking meeting from this day forward, I want you to be just as honest as you were today. Wow. A year later, I was his right-hand guy, and I was that for the next 12 years. No yes man. You know people, when yes man, that's like, that's a problem with some of these celebrities and why they go broke and some of these athletes and people will just hyping them. Yeah, you can do that. Go buy this. MC Hammer, perfect example. <laughs> Had the wrong people in this corner. Yeah, bro. Go get another car. Like, be, no. They didn't have the right people because a lot of times you have people that are around you are looking out for themselves. Mm-hmm. They're going to say whatever they can say to get to the next level with you. Because if you're going to the next level, yeah, I'm going to say whatever's happening. You like, yeah, I'm going to say I like it because I don't want you to take me with you. You can't have people like that around you. You will never go go anywhere. And um, actually, one of my uh, people like that in the building right now, my boy Austin. Shout out, Oz. What's up, everybody? Austin's in the building. Um, he's on ExtremeTravel.com, too. So <laughs> hit up Austin. He's probably going to be the one that calls them back. <laughs> <laughs> since, they call, since they're calling in reference in Ray Ray. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, you, you, you hit something right on the head, you know, about people. I do a lot of motivational speaking. And, I, and, I, and the first thing I say is 95% of all people are followers. So that means they're a yes man, yeah. right? And um, I always use sheep as an example. I say, you ever see sheep, you know, eating in a field? And all of a sudden, one sheep rears his head up, start looking around. And the rest of the sheep just eating. And all of a sudden, he'll look around again. And all of a sudden, he takes off. Well, guess what? Everyone else all the other sheep are like, where the hell is he going? I'm going with him. And they all take off. And... Uh, that's the only difference between being a leader and a, f- a follower is you step over to the 5% side 
and it's a lot more fun over here, I can tell you that. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, as you're saying this to people, I love the way you did the introductions in the beginning. People can be whoever they want to be. You don't have to be a yes man. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, I'm thankful for the people I have in my life. They're like, yo, you got to fuck it up, bro. Because they will try to tell me, like, you're fucking up right now. Yep. And you got to have people like that because if no one doesn't love you, they won't tell you where you're making mistakes. Right. Period. I want to talk about, you know, the wrestling career a little bit. Then we're going to talk about, you know, the ins and outs of extreme travel. So you became Fritz's right-hand man, okay? So I know you've had to see a lot of things. I know you've had a lot of big-name people had to come through that territory. Like some of the people, like, oh, let's say Stone Cold Steve Austin was someone that came through the territory. Of course, the Von Erics. Jim Duggan. Jim Duggan. Um, Ultimate Warrior. I think Sting, he was Sting. the Dingo Warriors or whatever, something like that. Well, he was, at that time, they were called the Blade Runners, Blade Runners yeah. and uh, they were partners. The Sting left, when he, when they split up, he went to Atlanta. Um, Jim Hellwood came here, and we changed his name to the Dingo Warrior. Uh, who else did we have? You had G- Gentleman uh, Chris Adams. You had Chris, Gentleman Chris Adams, uh, King Kong Bundy, um, uh, Jake the Snake, uh, Ravishing Rick Rude. These are all guys that went on up, you know, and uh, went to Vince. And then Stone Cold, when he was here, he broke in here. He actually trained through uh, Chris Adams's camp, and um, he was teamed up here with Jack Victory. And uh, when I became the Booker, actually, uh, Jack came in and told me they they were looking for a spot that that I think they. I said I think you'd be better off instead of staying here, going up to Atlanta. And uh, he got with Steve, and they got a they got a gig up there. And uh, you know, Steve just always his voice was what truthfully made him in the beginning. He was a great wrestler, period. He just came natural. But his voice was just, you just don't find it, you know. And um, Steve knew he, he, could, he could be whatever he wanted to be in the industry, and he, he, he just didn't stop. He went from there. Then the Vince got a hold of him, and the rest is history, you know. But I think it really just, like, kind of turned a quarter for him. He got frustrated with WCW. Then he went to ECW and just raised absolute hell like he does and just started going off and people was like oh this guy can talk you know what they call he was a talker you were a stick man some people call it guys that cut really good promos to this day matter of fact he just did one a week or two ago for wrestlemania i guess he's coming out of semi coming out of retirement for something uh here at wrestlemania but it's crazy to see him with blonde hair he's got long blonde hair and now he's just a bald-headed guy just, yeah and he comes across just as a good old boy yeah and i think that's what really you know, we always said with wrestling, it didn't matter what time of the year it was. Even back in the Depression, wrestling was still going. Yeah. And because it's a way, it was a way for people to escape. They had the good and the bad, okay? And they came and rooted for the good, <laughs> you know? And so uh, Fritz used to tell me, back in the Depression, man, the, the, the people didn't have a buck, but they lowered the price enough that people could come to wrestling on the weekends, and they'd pack it out. Yeah, it's just one of those things. It's just, to this day, how big wrestling has become. And, like... I know people call it the golden era, like in the 80s, uh, late 70s, 80s, where you just had a boom, where you had all your different territories. So what is your thought about the territories? Do you think the territories should still be around, or what are your thoughts of the way the modern-day wrestling is run today? Well, and a lot of people don't understand that. Back whenever uh, we, we were all part of the NWA, National Wrestling Alliance, and uh, Fritz had the, the Southwest, uh, Bill Watts had uh, Oklahoma and uh, New Orleans, that area, and then you had like uh, Vern Gagne, uh, 
up in Chicago, and you had uh, Mike LaBelle in California, and uh, Harley Race, and 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 uh, Bob Steig, uh, uh, Bob Stegel had uh, Kansas City. So you had all these different promoters, and what happened was we were the first because of Channel Eleven. It was a super station, mm-hmm. so our tape started reaching out. You didn't really have anything until Ted Turner come along. And people don't know it. In the beginning, he paid you to have his station, a dime. Paid you 10 cents if you'd carry his station uh, and watch it on TV. And so um, uh, he became the next super station. And and then it also kind of created a conflict in the industry because what happened was used to, if you were going, let's say you were wrestling for us here and you were going to go up to Atlanta, they didn't see you. They, they didn't see your finishes. So at the end, you know, we let certain people beat you or whatever, and you didn't care. When that when TV started getting strong, people were, well, I don't know. I'm don't fixing know to go up here and try to be a superstar in Atlanta. I don't want to see them getting my ass kicked, uh, you know. So it did create some problems. But uh, I love the territories, mm-hmm. and I love going to the NWA convention. It was great to, to see all the owners come together. It probably like the NFL now, you know. But it was um, – I'm actually – it's crazy – I never thought I'd be looking at the wrestling business again, but I've got some guys now come to me that have some gigantic money wanting to know would I run one one more time. And that was my thing. I said, you know, I'll probably bring back the territories. Okay. Okay. I mean, that would be good because here's another question, too, I got. But um, a lot of those territories, a lot of the promoters and the people that ran it were also wrestlers. Was that politics always kind of an issue? We're like, okay, like, for instance, I know Gangay ran his territory, and he was champ. I know him and Bachwinkle would go go at it. I remember Gagne was like, "Well, if the pop is good, I'm gonna go one more run." Whoopty whoop. Was there a lot of that issue? Like another guy, Jerry Lawler, down in Memphis. You know, I think mean, he was the booker down there, promoter, but he was also their star wrestler. Did a lot of the guys like, "Hey, you know, because you're the booker, you're gonna make yourself look strong." Was it? Was there a lot of that issues going on? Yeah, but well, it was only natural because you were there longer. The 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 bigger you were as a draw, the longer you were going to stay as a booker or if you were the owner. That was one of the problems we had here because we just didn't have one Von Erich. We had multiple. We had multiple Von Erich. We had three. Whenever Kevin, David, and Kerry were all strong, it was hard for another babyface to come in here because there's only so many rooms for the main events. Yeah. yeah. You know? And, and wrestlers are funny. You have a lot of wrestlers that come in and they'll say, back when I was booking, if I was negotiating a deal, Okay, yeah, I'll come in, but uh, I want this much money, X amount. Okay? Don't care when they wrestle, what semifinal, opening mat, they don't care. But then you get some guys, you don't really have to offer money. They just want to be the semifinal or main event, which I know immediately that's ego. Yeah, yeah. Okay? Oh, I'm not, I'm not going to be the opening match, the second match. Well, some guy could care less. Yeah. Just put the commas in my check. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, that was um, – when you travel around the country, it, you know, and that's what kept the local baby faces. So Dusty Rhodes, a great example, up in Florida, you know, he he was in with the owners and uh, the Funks, and so he was going to be. Uh, they're always going to be the local draw. Mm-hmm. But best thing that can happen is if the if the owner's a heel. See, Fritz was a heel, because mm-hmm. now you can bring all the top baby faces in, and they want you to. They're constantly, you know, Fritz. It was hard for Fritz when when the boys came along for if he would go with them. Some areas, they didn't. They didn't forget who Fritz von Erich was. <laughs> you know what I mean? They remember him putting an iron claw on, on whoever their star was, and uh, beating the shit out of him when he would come to town. 
So you talked about possibly getting back into wrestling again, all right? So is there any mistakes that were done your first go-around that you would make sure you were correct the second go-around? Definitely, because I think right now, um, and truthfully, I haven't looked at wrestling. Uh, I, I used to say it almost turned into me to Barnum and Bailey, uh, <laughs> you know, and um, respect for all the boys. They had nothing to do with it. But people used to hate to come to Texas to wrestle because you you better get you better get hard or you're going to get the hell beat out of you. Yeah. Okay, that was just what we were known for in Texas. We didn't, we didn't pull punches. So when you went out and fought, you, you were going to have, whether it would be five minutes or 20 minutes of fighting. Yeah. And uh, we did a strap match, as you remember. I mean, oh, my God. I, uh, Bruiser Brody and those guys, yeah. So it was uh, a lot of areas you'd go to, and it would be just the opposite. You know, I, I couldn't stand it, especially when you talk kayfabe. Mm-hmm seeing a guy that throws a punch and it misses three inches and the other guy falls on his back and like he's knocked him out. Fans aren't stupid. Yeah. You know, and that's why we were so strong. So what I do, the biggest thing I would do different right now is, and i got to be careful here because I don't want to give away my <laughs> my deal. We had so many celebrities out there that wanted to be, just be there by ringside and mm-hmm. stuff like that, that my plan is I'm going to tie some of them in. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like Snoop Dogg when he cut into the ring. Exactly. Bro, that was the one. <laughs> he knows. That's one of the ones I'm reaching out to. <laughs> that dive he tried to do. So Snoop Dogg tried to do a dive off the top rope. So he jumped, jumped on his feet, then jumped on it. It was the most. <laughs> Make sure you put that video clip in this because, oh, my Lord. Well, I, saw, I, like, I, I saw a guy yesterday. He must have weighed. 300 pounds, climb up on top rope, and he was going to die. Well, the guy was too far across he the ring. It. I saw he it. missed him totally, but he just put his arm on him, and then they counted him out. I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> he hit the ring. Another guy bounced up three foot. Oh, man. I want to see, uh, I see now Bad Bunny. He's, he's, he's been on there a couple Yo, times. Yo, Bad Bunny's actually yeah. pretty good. Like, yeah. No, he's, a, he's acrobatic. Like, yeah. But that's a, a lot of people, one of the issues they have with a lot of the modern-day wrestling is it's too spotty is what they call people. It's way too many spots, way too many flips. Is yeah. this gymnastics or is wrestling? I know some people have, have an issue with that, but, I mean, some of the stuff is entertaining, but you don't have to have a whole freaking match where this guy's jumping over here, I'm jumping over here, I'm jumping I over think. here. Well, not only that, it's too, um, it's too gimmicky. Yeah. And when I say that, uh, we had such a long run because – I learned from the best. I learned from Gary Hart when I first went in, when I would set the booking meetings. Gary Hart was a booker. Very smart, smart. Then uh, I learned under Ken Mantell when he came in. George, uh, oh, God, what's his name? Uh, can't think of it now. He came down from Atlanta, was the booker for a while. So I got a chance to see all these guys, plus Fritz. Yeah. I sat in on every booking meeting and got to, you know, hear all of his mind and how he ticked. And I always had a, a real – blessing for coming up with finishes you know i came up with the steel cage on carrie's head and uh you know and so i would come up with a finish and then we'd all tweak it mm-hmm. or if we were at the matches you know ken was a good booker but he wasn't a good finish guy so he would say dave give me come up with a finish for this but wrestling is uh, it's almost like a soap opera yeah mm-hmm. you start here and you got to plan out for let's say six months this is when the blow up is going to be mm-hmm. so we start out and we start going well about two months into it you got to start the next one because when this one ends, that one's going to kick yeah. on, and you got to keep doing that. So, But what I see happening now is so many guys that think they can be a booker. Well, this week they got a steel cage, Texas death, and then, then next weekend they got barbed wire and bombs, and the next week they got – you can't continue to follow that. You do what we call burn up the town. Yeah. How are you going to follow it? Yeah. 
You know, those are special gimmicks you do once a year. But how do you top the next thing? Yeah, the steel cage match. Yeah. Think about us. We did that maybe once a year. The Texas death match in a steel cage. Where now you, you got to where you saw them every weekend somewhere. And not only that, we used to have a rule. If you were in the first three to four matches, don't get out of the ring. Okay? You have your match. You have it in the ring. To where now, hell, you get the first match in there. They're out slinging chairs, and I see them up in the top of the rafters. And yeah. Yeah. That's not the main event. That's not what they came to see, yeah. you know? Yeah. Save that stuff. So is there kind of the importance for one? You had the time limits. Well, this match is a time fifteen minute time limit. Uh, I, saw, I saw a lot of other things, but also another question is: How was it? How did you go about not having the same finish over and over? Trying to come up with a new finish all the time because you can only have so many matches in in a DQ or so many times the the heel is going to go. All right, I want to lose this time. Like, how did you keep it fresh? Well, you could you could have a hundred DQs. Yeah. But you need a different reason for the DQ, yeah. and um, the uh, th- that's where I, I had a pretty good act for you know what was going on because there were some guys you had to DQ because they they weren't going to let you pin them. Yeah. You know, they, a great example was Andre. Yeah. Okay, you come out to finish. That's why Andre got one million dollars when Hulk Hogan pinned him because if he didn't get to one million, Hulk ain't ain't nobody <laughs> pinning Andre the Giant if he don't want to be pinned. <laughs> that that's a fact. But it's uh, – I think it pretty much just goes back to that, you know, that you you got to have the boys get along, and then you just got to come up with a finish. And it's got to be something the fans can believe, yeah. you know. And it's got to be two-way. You, get, you can't all – sometimes the heels – Jim Helwig was the hardest. Ultimate Warrior, man, he just didn't want to do business. Man, I heard a lot of stories. He just didn't want to do business, and he didn't understand. Jeep Swenson. Here's Jeep, you know, 94-inch uh, uh, chest. 28-inch biceps, monster. Mm-hmm. Well, in his mind, no one could beat him. And I'll never forget one. we were in Israel, and I had Brody against Abdullah the Butcher, and I had Jeep against Ke- uh, Lance Von Erich. Mm-hmm. So I was going to do a DQ with Brody, and I was going to have Lance beat um, Jeep. Mm-hmm. But we're in Israel. There's no TV. Well, Jeep didn't want to do the job. He's like, oh, no, we'll do a DQ. I said, I'm already doing a DQ. So I said, all right, we'll DQ your match. I'll go get Brody and them. So I go back over to the other uh, baby face, Brody putting his boots on. And I said, we're going to have to change it. Jeep doesn't want to do the job. And Brody was like, what? He just stands up, and here he goes marching out towards the other dressing room. I'm like, uh-oh. So Brody goes in the other dressing room, and he looks at Jeep and says, let me make something clear. You're going to go in the ring tonight. When it's time, you're going to put your shoulders down, and Lance is going to beat you one, two, three. Otherwise, we're going to change the matches, yeah. But Lance is going to wrestle the butcher. I'm going to wrestle you, and I guarantee your ass and your shoulders are going down for one, two, three. She said, no problem, whatever y'all want to do. <laughs> <laughs> for those of you who don't know who, Bro- who Brody is, you got go, You got to look at Brody. Like, this guy was bloodied every time. Bruiser Brody was... Which was a legend. It's terrible what happened down there in Puerto Rico. It's just, it's crazy. He's working for me then, you know. That was just wow. sad. And uh, just sad. Uh, so uh, we had a conversation not too long ago about, uh, you kind of touched on the fact that you, write, you got stories for storyboards or whatever, right? What happened? Like, there's been situations where some of these wrestlers are like live decide to go their own route. 
Like what? Like what's going on in your mind during that? And you're watching this. It's called shoot, right? It's not the shoot. shoot. Yeah. The shoot, and then, like, what happens? Like, I just kind of like what what happens on that point. It could be. Uh, people ask me sometimes who was the toughest wrestler, and most people wouldn't believe it. It was probably uh, the Iron Sheik. Mm. Uh, he didn't look it, yeah. but the guy came from Iran, and they used to th- do a thing there called uh, the pit. Mm-hmm. They'd put like all of them would put up their money and go into the pit, and the last one out got all the money. He won it numerous times. Uh, uh, Iranian champion Olympics. Um, one night the he was I'm, I was refereeing, and he wore these boots with these curly toes on them, and so he'd kick you, you'd sell that. Yeah. So all of a sudden I could tell something had gone wrong. He was also beating shit out of that guy, and so I pushed him back, and I'm like, Kazro, what you know? He's like he don't start a boot. And uh, I'm trying to calm him down. And next thing I know, he's got the guy again. And uh, so we got to dress him. I said, you can't do that. He said, he knows tell the, the boot tell me. Cosro, he knows tell me. He, 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 he ignored me. So he have to understand when the boot tell me that, he paid the price. And, and uh, Brody, that's what got Brody killed. Because uh, they owed him about 25 grand. And when he went there, he was working for me then. And I broke away from, you know, WCCW and had my own deal. And we, I was mainly doing the Caribbean and stuff. And he told me, he said, I'm coming back with my money. I said, man, remember, you're in their playground because that part of the cologne and them was known for mm-hmm. mafia. Yeah. And um, Brody went down there, and the guy that was the booker, he was booked with him the first night and, I mean, beat the crap out of me. I mean, beat him to a pulp. And told him to send the message back, tell Cologne to have my money or he's next. And it was the next night that they stabbed him. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Because I remember seeing that story on uh, I think Dark Side of the Ring. They did did it. Yeah. And I remember Tony Atlas was like, "Yo, what, what are y'all doing?" And like, I think Tony was the one that got him to the hospital, right? Yeah. That, just... Yeah. The butcher was there, and they told all the boys they came back for the court. They would never leave the island mm-hmm. if any of them showed up to testify. And, and they meant it. But they, uh, the other one, the, the other shoot, believe it or not, was with Sunshine. And whenever, when she broke away from Jimmy Garvin, mm-hmm. she was, she was kind of like family. Well, Precious was his wife. Yeah. And they got into it and twice. It, so Sunshine moved over to Chris Adams. Man, we did a cage match in, uh, in Lawton, and I was worried. I was telling the referee, Rick Hazard, I was like, you've got to keep them apart because I knew it was going to go down. Because Sunshine had already said, I'm not taking her shit and b- yeah. vice versa. So you're talking about a cat fight. And then Jimmy, he would get involved because he didn't have a choice. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we we actually literally, when they all came, I couldn't even put Sunshine in the dressing room. I had to put her in a hotel across the street. <laughs> because the two of them, I knew once they got in the ring, and sure enough, man, when they got in the ring, it was it was, going it was a cat fight. Okay. So let's talk about, you know, you transitioned out of wrestling. And you've got multiple businesses you've done. So talk to us, what was the first business you had when you, when you got done with wrestling? Believe it or not, I got involved in uh, a nutritional company, network marketing company. Over the years, I'd always had people approach me, oh, i show you how to make millions of dollars, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So they got me in a company that had, uh, I actually started out taking the product, and uh, I liked it because I was working out and stuff. And So they had an energy product. They had a, uh, it was crazy because Ken Mantell, the other booker, got me the product so he got me this I ordered this big deal so I had all this energy product and weight loss product and I had a big gallon jug of vitamin 
I just set it on my on my table, right? And someone tore down our mailbox, so the police came out. And the policeman, I'll never forget, he came out. I lived in South Lake. He came out and came in, and all of a sudden he's like, what's that? I said, uh, well, let's see, that gives you energy, that one does this, and that one does that. And he's like, oh, man, we could use some energy. I have the night shift. So I had promised Ken I would give it out as samples. Well, I gave the guy all of it. Uh-huh. All of it. All of it. Just get it out. I'd, I'd fulfilled my obligation. <laughs> About a week later, i never forget, I was having a dinner, and all of a sudden somebody rang the door, and I go, and here's this cop standing there, and he's like, hey, I need some more of that stuff. I said, what stuff? The energy, and the judge took the vitamin, and this and that, and... So I called Ken. I said, okay, Ken, I can do this. And from there, I got involved, and I become a networker. And all of a sudden, I saw truck drivers and stuff making a lot of money. I'm talking about big money, millions. And I was like, okay, now, if they can do this. And I had a following. Anyway, I could fill up a room. And then I just really attached myself. And like you say, I just become listening to the guys out there that were on the leadership side and listening to their trainings. I would just do – I didn't even tell their jokes. I just duplicated <laughs> And uh, then that company, the, the guy that was above me, it was, it was uh, multi-level, he left and started his own company. He called me and said, you want to be one of my first guys? And I went from getting my check up around $4,000, all of a sudden I was making about thirty grand a month okay. in like three months, and life changed. Yeah. And from there I became a consultant in the industry, started my own company, and um, you know, just been very, very successful at it. And probably, believe it or not, more than... Well, wrestling got me the lead into the Easter Seals. I was the host of Easter Seals for like 12 straight years. I went to Easter Seals as a kid. Yeah, I was, I was the host. They would move from different – it's funny, they'd go to different stations. Like if they were at Channel 5, all of a sudden Scott Murray would be on this, that. If they moved over to Channel 8, you had Dale Hansen and all them on. But I stayed on because they, they preempted every show. It was 24 hours, you know. They preempted every show except wrestling. They didn't want to preempt wrestling because the numbers were so big. Yeah. So they said, have someone come down. And, and throw it back and forth to Easter Seals to the matches. I did that. And they loved the enthusiasm. They asked me to come back and work in the phone banks. And then two years later, I was the host, and I was the host for the next 12 years. That's awesome. Uh, and, and I got more intro into speaking engagements and stuff from Easter Seals than anything. Yeah. I remember as a child, they used to, my mom used to have to take me. Uh, where was that? I can't remember where the buildup was at. Uh, all, all the different programs they had. Over in Dallas, yeah, it was down there, yeah. Um, okay, so for that, then I think it's around 2000, you bought a travel company. Let's talk to us about that. Yeah, one of my buddies was a guy named David Kelly. He owned a travel company called Travel Works. And it was out in Euless, and uh, we played golf a couple times a week. So we were all playing golf, and that morning I kept hearing him on the phone talking to his agents, and he would say, are you working from home today or are you at the office? So after about the third call, I said, what do you mean working from home? He said, well, with the new technology now with Sabre and everything, they can work from home just as easy as coming in. Well, light bulb went off, and I said, you need to let me handle that side of the business. I'll bring in travel agents. We'll train them to be travel agents. They can work from home. He wasn't a big fan, but he had huge connections in the industry. He introduced me to a company called Travel Sabres. I flew to New York, met with them, told them my, what I wanted to do. So I went back, and I said, look, I'll run that half. You run the other half, and I'll give you this much of a piece of my half. A year later, I bought him out. And his agency was about 15 years old, and I started creating home-based travel agents. And I used it through network marketing, and we created 30,000 of them oh, wow. in about two years. Oh, wow. And uh, we were doing so much travel volume, it was crazy. And then we were also, I had guys making, you know, 30,000 a month through the networking side. So we were the talk of the industry, and we would go to resorts and take 
2,000 people with us. You know, we'd invite them all down. The, the So from there, I split the companies off and created Extreme Travel because there was a lot of corporations out there or a lot of groups that wouldn't do business with me because it was multi-level. Mm-hmm. So I split them to where Extreme Travel was never a multi-level. And then I broke the network off. And about two years ago, I sold the network off, and now I just have Extreme Travel. Because, like, I personally say, you know, we've gone on trips. Shout out to Austin again. He, we always book, like, a friend's trip uh, every year. Uh, this year, we're going to Jamaica. So if you want to go to Jamaica, we may have some spots available for you. ExtremeTravel.com. Uh, hit us up. Uh, use that discount code. Get a discount on your, you know, airfare. But, like I say, we're going to Jamaica this year. So I know pandemic. That had to change business up. How did how did y'all make it through the pandemic? Re- refunded four thousand twenty six trips. <laughs> how many? Four thousand twenty six. It was uh, it was a nightmare, mm. and what happened was, Damn. all of the companies out there like uh, uh, FunJet, Apple, their departments that handled refunds was about two people, and all of a sudden, I mean literally, you got the cruise industry especially. All of a sudden, millions of people had to be refunded. Well, at first, they tried not to refund. They'd just say, okay, you still get your trip, but we're going to move it eight months. Yeah, I remember yeah. them saying that. Yeah. And then people would get mad at us because, like, I can't go then. I want my money back. Yeah. Well, Cruise Line, like, well, we're not giving the money back. We're moving the trip. Yeah. And it, Austin and, the, and, the, and the, the ones that booked travel, they, they had hell for months because the people just didn't believe that. Yeah. And then I think it finally come around because we just started to have people call call over. I'll give you a great example. was Apple Vacation. Their refund department went from 2 to 120, working nonstop just trying to follow up and move trips. And, and finally they got to where they just started refunding the money. They had to yeah. because eight months later we weren't any better. Yeah. So now they're going to try to move it again, and people just weren't having it. But it, it was a nightmare. I mean, we went from – Selling, like I say, $180 million worth of travel to losing, yeah. refunded. Yeah. But now travel's back. Yeah. It's back, and it's going to get, I think, 20, the, from now to the end of the year and through 2023 will be the biggest year for booking travel because a lot of people set them on their butts. They, they were almost imprisoned to their house. Mm-hmm. How many times have you heard someone say, I don't know where I'm going, but I'm I am going, going somewhere. somewhere. Yeah. And that, and I think a lot of them now are taking the. We're seeing people take more high end trips. Yeah. Because one, they've saved up for two years and had a vacation, <laughs> mm-hmm. and so now you get some of them going to Tahiti or going to the Maltese or you know taking that Alaska cruise. And man, we're here for them. We all. One thing is we get we have the best pricing out there. That's a fact. That is, I I totally agree with that because the rate we're getting for the Jamaica trip, it's I was like what. For five nights all inclusive, that much? It's it, it's a steal. But it's just the airline tickets, man. Yeah. Like we I remember one time we went to look look at our tickets one day, they were like six hundred bucks. I think it was like what a week or two later, they were like almost nine hundred bucks. Like what, how did they jump up like within like two weeks? Well fuel's gonna drive that. It's gonna it's yeah. gonna be even worse because fuel that gives them an excuse to raise prices. But you know, we have our we call it X T V I P, Extreme Travel VIP. And it's a club. Now, a lot of people don't want to be a travel agent. They should call and get in the club because, one, we give you a book. You, everybody who now goes to Expedia, Travelocity, Orbitz, Kayak, they think they're getting the best price. That's, that's public pricing. We give them wholesale pricing because they're a member. And I've seen we beat sometimes, let's say, Expedia or Travelocity by two and $3,000 on a, on a week stay. 
That's real wholesale. wholesale. Yeah. Matter of fact, we can't show those prices to the public. We can only show it to our members. But we also have daily savings, and we do trips like you guys going to Jamaica. Mm-hmm. We do at least two or three of those a year, and we invite everybody to go, and we just party down. Yeah, yeah. it's gonna be a lot of it's gonna be a lot of partying going down. We've uh, we've been running and gunning for this last couple of years, so especially twenty twenty. I remember nothing was open, and finally there was a bar started opening. Me and Austin was like, "Are we going to go drink? Going to go drink?" So now every Wednesday, if you see me and Austin out, come have a drink with us. Normally we're at <laughs> two spots. <laughs> we normally I, be here. I may have to come with you. You you know when I came in the door, I was on the phone with Ric Flair. Yeah, yeah. And you heard him. Yeah. He's coming to town for WrestleMania, so he's telling me get ready. We're gonna be at the Hyatt for three nights, so I better start training now because <laughs> get some practice. Come hang out with us. Hang out with us, Ruben. We we all get you ready. We'll get you we'll get you work in. Got to take reps. Get those reps in. Uh, real quick, I want to shout out Nathan. Thank you, Nathan, for coming in. Uh, he's helping us fill an outdoor photography today. P couldn't be with us today. What did you want people to take away from this podcast you did today? And again, reminding people where they can find you at. Uh, you can take away that uh, I do a lot of podcasts. I do a lot of appearances, and uh, this has been fun. It's been real. I love that when it's real. And, uh, you know, I, I've got to know Ray, and now I know the other Ray uh, <laughs> over the years. And uh, uh, I think – if nothing else, just keep tuning in. No telling who I'm gonna I'm gonna refer some people over. He may want to put on here, yeah, let's do but it. Uh, I just say take away you guys. You can do anything you want to do. They said it earlier. Uh, I'd love to. I'm gonna be speaking. I'm the keynote speaker out at the Travel Savers Big Event this year, uh, and I got some things planned for wrestling. So you may start seeing me pop up on Facebook, and I don't even know what Billy. This is how old I am, man. People still follow me on Twitter, and I don't know what they're following because I don't do I don't do nothing on there. But I keep tweet. Oh, Twitter world. Now with OJ OJ Simpson. So anyway, I appreciate you guys having me on. It's always a lot of fun for me to talk the old days. Man, I love it. I hope you come back. I know because you got a lot more stories. I know you could dive into, but really, I want to really get into know about David today. And later date, we we can talk about some of these crazy stories. Actually, I'll talk about some of the stuff off the air. Get drunk and just go out. And, have, have some fun. But uh, thank you to everyone that's tuned into this episode. Uh, WrestleCon, are you doing WrestleCon? What's up? Well, they, they've reached out to me, and I didn't take it. That's what I was talking to Flair about. I, yeah. I saw he was coming, so I sent it out and said, what do you think? You Should I? Because I've turned him down a couple times, and I may go this time. I was looking at the list. A lot of stars going to be there. So we'll see. He's supposed to send me a number today. He wants me to call. I told him one of the things I would say besides getting paid would be uh, sent me and Rick together because at least that way we can reminisce for <laughs> While, while we're there all day, it'll give us – we have some good times when we're together. Man, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, yeah, thank you to everyone uh, that's watching and listening to this. Rock, you got anything for the people you want to say? No, I'm just uh, – thank you guys so much for tuning in and listening to us. Uh, always visit our website, com. Check out our YouTube page, uh, Ravis Podcast. We guys, thank you so much to all the, uh, all the listeners and the subscribers. Um, and all the different uh, people out there. So thank you so much. We've got some merchandise coming soon. Um, so stay tuned for all these new updates that we'll have. But other than that... Man, you sound like an infomercial over there. Man, I'm trying. I'm practicing. <laughs> but wait, if you call now, <laughs> we'll send you an extra one. Ship your snips. $19.99 for shipping and handling. Yes. But no, thank you all so much for tuning in. This is your boy Ray. And Ray. Before we leave, going to leave off with some positive words. Just tell yourself that I will boss up mentally. I will boss up spiritually. I will boss up physically. I will boss up financially. Invest in yourself. It's your boy Ray. Yeah, Ray. And we're out. Hey, get money all day, get money all night. Sit my-